Hello, and welcome to episode 19 of the Posecast with Rabbi Shmuel Poser, myself, Seth Hellman. We have another guest today. We've got Hershey Sufrin. Hershey, how are you doing today? We'll talk to you first, and then we'll get over to the rabbi, see how he's doing. Baruch Hashem, really excited to be here. Rabbi, how are you today? Um, I'm excited that Hershey's here. Uh, And you. Very good. Well, I mean... It's always a delight to get to see me. So you don't even have to you don't even have to say it at that point. It's just it's kind of somebody, implied. Okay. But there's levels of delight as well. Uh, okay. Okay. So Hershey, you are you've got this nice project going on, Sufrin.tv. It's very interesting. I was I was able to take some time to kind of flip through it. I'm curious. So you haven't been out of college that long. So this is kind of a, a rough, you know, pretty young project. What was the genesis of it? Where did this whole idea come from? Oh, um, well, it started really when I was a kid. I mean, I my, I grew up around art and technology. My mom is a painter and a preschool teacher. And my dad is a software engineer. So um, and my brother is a musician and my dad also does woodworking. So everybody in my family is creative. And um, also, you know, I, I just sort of grew up around people who were making things. And then as I got older, um, got into, you know, like the Disney movies and classic animated movies. And then when DVDs came out, they had the behind the scenes, right? You could watch behind the scenes how they made it. And then I, that like blew my mind that there's people who actually make these things and they get paid and there's a the whole industry behind it. And um, I... Uh, went with my dad once to Best Buy and I went up to the employee, I was probably seven years old. And I said, I want the computer program that they use to make Toy Story. And the guy was like, that's like proprietary hundreds of thousands of dollars. We don't have that at Best Buy. So I went home (laughs) and I learned, I learned how to make cartoons in in Microsoft PowerPoint. (laughs) Uh, Because in PowerPoint, you can set each slide to last. I think it's like a 10th of a second is the minimum. And so I would draw silly cartoons and use like word art and clip art and uh, make my own movies. And that's really where it started. So I always sort of knew that this was where I was headed, um, telling stories with pictures. And then in college, I studied animation, started working at a studio right out of college, um, and then uh, realized I could go off and do my own thing. So that's that's suffering.tv. So tell us a little bit more about, you know, why did you decide to go down the road of, of Yiddishkeit? And I saw there was a section on Kabbalah. And so there's, you know, there's a lot of, there's Jewish stuff on here. Why did you choose that route as opposed to trying to go to Pixar and create movies? Yeah. So first of all, let me just clarify. I don't only do Jewish projects. Like uh, most of what I do is, you know, corporate business stuff. And then I often, um, we'll do stuff in the Jewish world just because that's my network, right? Like you have to, it's not what you know, it's who you know. And Baruch Hashem, the Jewish world um, is uh, is a tight, a very strong network. Like if you can get involved and th- that goes for any business, like we help each other out. So that's that definitely how I got my start. Most of my first clients were, you know, in Crown Heights and, and you know, Chabad Shlachim and um, all over the world. And um, that's, you know, the, the, the start of my business really, but to answer your question, how I got involved in Yiddishkeit, I grew up with a pretty strong Jewish identity. I went to Jewish, I went to a private Jewish school that was officially, it was like a conservative school. Um, we, we went to Shoal every Shabbos, we had Shabbos meals. Um, 
halacha wasn't really so much a part of the picture, but my parents definitely wanted me to have, let's say, more of a Jewish education than what they had. That was really important to them, was that um, I should be able to read Hebrew, that I should know about the Holocaust, remember the Holocaust, support Israel. Those were like the pillars of, of you know, my upbringing. Um, so I hesitate to say like, oh, I got involved in Yiddishkeit because it really always has been a part of my life. But the real, the like halachic religious Kabbalistic side came much later. Um, that was really in high school. I went to a high school that was really, it was a public high school that had a really strong art program, um, which was obviously very good for me because I'd already been really interested in that field. So my senior year of college, I did an independent study in graphic design and I decided I was going to make a font. So to make a font, you have to design every single letter, capital and lowercase, as well as all of the numerals, right? One through zero, one through nine and zero. And then um, like all of the punctuation and the pound sign and everything and like to handcraft it. I was really into that. So I finished making an English font and then I said, well, why don't I try to make a Hebrew font? I'm Jewish, right? So I started researching, you know, one of the things that you learn when you study typography is there are a lot of rules. The space between the letters, um, the, the contrast between the verticals and the horizontals. And these are all things that I was studying as I was learning graphic design. So then when I said, let me learn a Hebrew font, I had to figure out what are the rules of Hebrew typography? What are the principles of the Hebrew letters and the shapes of the letters? So what happens when you Google the shapes of the Hebrew letters? You end up on Chabad.org learning Kabbalah. So, <laughs> <laughs> so actually, Aaron Raskin, um, Rabbi Raskin in, um, in was it Brooklyn Heights? Yep. He, has, he has a whole series of videos on Chabad.org about each of the Hebrew letters and the shape and what it means and why it's named that and the the you know the mysticism behind the shapes themselves and that just got me hooked um that got me completely hooked you actually wrote a book yeah right right so uh, I, you you start mentioning the hebrew letters and my thought instantly goes to connecting the dots between artistry and hebrew letters so is there ever a plan down the line to maybe try and i don't know write your own torah someday or like start <laughs> small and write your own mezuzah or something like that yeah, you know, I thought about it. I was really um, into like it's, it's it's called safrus, like practicing the different shapes of the letters with a special. I got like special types of pens, and I would play around with it, um, but professionally, no. <laughs> and to write my own mezuzah, uh, I don't know if I'm qualified. <laughs> Rabbi, do you have any any more specific questions here? No, I just about safrus. I would say that. That's like that's like a, a professional on its own. You have to have like yeah. it's not just it's not the it's not just artistic. It's also you know the the soul thing of it. And if you have to, be, I think you have to be a special person that's drawn into it. And it's all handwritten, so you know it's not like you play with a computer. It's like you have to you know it's very meticulous. I, I'm I'm in awe of people that sit and write mezuzahs all day. Like how can you you know? There's a guy in Crown Heights. I visit him. He's fa fascinating because in his basement he actually has skins that he uses and makes them into parchment. Like does everything on his own. He makes the the the, the bottom, the, the containers for the for the for the tefillin. He makes the parchment, he makes the ink, does the whole thing. And he does, he has he sometimes he does really small um tefillin. And and I, he's working through a magnifying, a big magnifying glass. Like it's mind-boggling and it's and it's so gorgeous, it's so perfect, it's incredible. 
So I think that if you don't if you don't have that you know that drive to do it, it's not going to happen. Yeah. So. One thing that I was drawn to, I'll say actually, around that same time, my brother, who's much older than me, we're eleven years apart, and it's just the two of us. So I always really looked up to him, and he had started becoming religious before me. Um, and he got involved. He moved to Brooklyn and got involved with some of the Hasidic communities there, including Chabad and also other Hasidic communities. And so I would, I used to go visit him. Um, when I was in college, I would go visit in in Brooklyn, and he would take me on what I like to call a Hasidic safari, where you go around and see like all the different <laughs> stockings and strimals, and he was explaining the like all the, why they're doing this, all the different things, and we would go diving in all these different crazy shoals, and it was a huge. I, I learned a lot, um, and was definitely influenced by all of that. But one thing that I noticed in all of these shoals, there's something called a shivisi. Um, a shivisi is a poster that has Essentially, it's a verse from Tehillim, Shivisi Hashem Lenegdi Samid, which means roughly I place God before me at all times. Like I constantly am aware of Hashem, constantly remembering Hashem. Um, there's a lot of Kabbalistic things behind it also, but this poster has it written in, um, it's beautiful, it's gorgeous. Um, I don't know if you can do a screen share and just like Google Shivisi and see what comes up. Um, but they have also one of the Psalms written in the shape of a menorah. Um, I forgot which capital it is, um, but it's shaped, shaped in a menorah. And it's also one of these chapters in Psalms that has like the words are the same forwards and backwards. And there's all these different diagrams and names of Hashem. And sometimes it'll have like the series on there. And they were all, there was like a, a general structure that they all shared, no matter what Schultz you, you go to and you see the Shavisi, but they're all unique. And you sort of get a sense of like the culture behind each, each one. And then when I would go to Chabad, they didn't have one. And so I was wondering, like, what's behind that? And so in college, I got involved with um, all of the Chabad houses in Boston. I mean, there's a whole bunch. Um, and uh, yeah, there you go. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. So like, isn't that awesome? You know, especially like me thinking of like a graphic designer trying to think about Jewish, the, the Hebrew letters and what is Jewish design? Like, what is he, what is you know, how does Kabbalah and Jewish thought influence the way that Judaism looks? Like when you walk into a shul and or, or the, the art that we associate with Yiddishkeit. And this is just so cool to me. Um, so I got into this and I asked one of the rabbis at the Chabad houses, I, I, asked, I asked one of the rabbis, like, why doesn't Chabad use a Shavisi? And he told me the Shavisi is in here. Shavisi is inside. We don't need a poster to look at. We have, we have to internalize it. Okay, I will full disclosure that on the top of Aaron Kaidish in gold lettering it says Shavisa Tendang Summit. Oh yeah? Yeah. And that just because I just thought it's a cool thing that I've seen it in shuls. I never you know, not the poster thing, but I was like, yeah, this is pretty cool. Is this this is the new one, not the one yes, that I've the new seen. one. Yeah. The new one. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. Okay, very cool. So it doesn't, let me it doesn't feel new anymore. I almost I almost can't even remember the way that the shul used to look like at this point. Like the whole that whole first floor feels so just normal now. Right, I mean, we've right. had it for so so I I to me it's just like anytime somebody comes in, even they've never been there before, and say, "Wow, this is a nice building." To me, this like brings back like in my mind, yeah, but it's two years old. This you know, thirty eight years we didn't have this. This is like the new version. But I you know, mm -hmm. it's nice to hear that. So Hershey, can you talk a little bit about? technology and Yiddishkeit and when that feel like just like some kind of feeling you get with people you deal with <laughs> um yeah I 
one thing that you definitely get out of technology and understanding technology is that everything matters. There was, um, there's a Suffern family in England and they're like a very well-known Chabad family. I don't come from a Chabad family, but everybody assumes that I'm related to them because I'm Chabad and they're Chabad. Um, my, my dad's email address is nsuffren at Yahoo. And there's somebody in England whose email address is n.suffren at Yahoo. And so <laughs> he was getting her emails and back and forth. And they like, that's how our families got involved. One time I actually got to go to England and I met them and it was all, wow. yeah. Um, <laughs> but Rabbi Mordechai Safran, who was, who was, um, who was n.suffren's father-in-law. Uh, I got to meet him as well. And we told him the whole story. And he said, um, you know, he, he basically gave over that like, yeah, that one little dot can make a whole difference. People wonder, why does Judaism care how you tie your shoes, how you, you know, all these little things, how can they matter to such a big God? Yes, the one little duck. I mean, the message doesn't come through. You know. So now you're you're living back in Chicago. That's like near your parents, right? Yeah. So you you're you're on your brother's journey into Yiddishkeit. How did that affect your parents? Um, (laughs) they're very confused more than anything else. I think. (laughs) Like, what did we do wrong? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. My my dad asked me that once. (laughs) And I I can tell them exactly what they did wrong. (laughs) They gave me a Jewish education. All right. So like the, all of the barriers, like I didn't have to learn Hebrew. I already knew Hebrew. I didn't have to learn, you know, I, I'm still learning Klamesh, obviously, but I knew all the stories. I knew basically what the Torah was about and a lot of Tanakh and Mishnah and things like that. They told us Balshanto stories in my, in my, you know, conservative day school, they told us Balshanto stories. And then that was because I'm, I've always been sort of a, a I don't want to say I'm a mystic, but like I've been, I've been into like the a little bit more of the ooh things in Judaism, um, and so to hear Balshanto stories as a child, it, it obviously has an impact. And then to learn about the other tzaddikim and other rabbeim, and then the Lubavitcher Rebbe is like, wow, there's like a Balshanto now, you know, that's that had a huge effect on me too. I want you know, bring me closer. I want to learn more. Um, so that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> So you're actually, you know, you're, you're guest number two, but you're also the second guest that their brother got into, like going <laughs> full funny, on yeah. into Yiddishkeit first, and then you followed. So what, you know, was it your, you saw your brother getting into it and then you were like, you know what, maybe I'm going to start, you know, fully giving all my effort to it too. Or was it, you had already gone down that path, saw him, and that was just kind of like an extra factor where you could look up to him more. That's a good question. Um, it's hard to tell. I think a lot of it is a lot of a lot of, and this is in general with with and raising kids and teaching people Yiddishkeit. Is that a lot of it happens through? I don't know if it's osmosis or just you. What you see is what you know. So um, it wasn't like he sat down and like told me how to keep Shabbos, right? But I just saw him. Oh, he like doesn't turn the light on on Shabbos. So maybe I won't play my video games today. You know um and little by little actually when i stopped using tech when i stopped playing video games on shabbos i didn't know what to do with myself so on my dad's bookshelf there was an english copy of the code of jewish law like an old copy that he had from his bar mitzvah or it was like even from my zadis times maybe and i would just sit and read it just like read the english code of jewish law and that another was sort mistake. Of another sure mistake, you, right? Your bookshelves don't have any any material like that. <laughs> exactly. But, you know, on a serious note, one of the ten mitzvahim, the ten mitzvah campaigns, is bias molly svarim. 
and you know, in other words, your house should be full of storm. And the Rebbe said not to be full of storm, but that the books in your house should have a prominent place. And it that's why when, when I you know, the kids graduate or whatever, I like to give them a book. And you know, because the book is there, it sits there. One day you might open it. One day maybe your kid will open it. It doesn't go away. It's like it's like a nice oh, it's a menorah or something, which of course is useful. But the book has has knowledge in it that you know some kind of people access. And then when people borrow a book and they bring it back, it's like, why did you bring it back? You know. And sometimes like like a book drop, like it doesn't happen often. Like, oh, these are books I had from ten years ago. And like they'll drop off like three books. Like yeah, I vaguely remember giving it. But when I lend the book to somebody, in my mind it's like. If I don't get it back, it's fine. You know, I don't I don't expect to get it back. But that that's amazing <laughs> that, you know, I have one of your books, Rabbi. <laughs> <laughs> I meant to bring it when I was in Boston. I forgot. But... <laughs> it's fine. Okay. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah, so I you know, I totally agree with you as far as parents go. You know, it's it's it has happened on occasion, not too often. I mean I'm sure their parents they don't like me because their kids became more observant, but very rarely they actually say to your face, like, you know, what did you do to my kid? And I once had a conversation with, with a parent and I said, I didn't do anything with your kid. You did it. Right. Because there's thousands of Jewish kids within a three mile radius of the Chabanos. Why did your kid come and become more, you know, more observant, more Shomotara Mitzvahs? It's probably something you didn't. If it was up to me, I'd have a, you know thousands and thousands. If I could do that, wow, it'd be amazing. So it's it's the seeds that are planted that that really you know sprout at some point later on. And you know, look in the mirror and you know why. Like you know, we only do this. Well, your kid doesn't have the hangups you have, and they just took it for face value, and they're going to do Shabbos properly, like do it you know halfway through. Not that we're judging anybody for what they're doing or not doing. But the fact that somebody takes it to the next logical step just makes so much sense. And I think it's, you know, it's, it's important for parents to understand that, you know, that you, you, you want your kids to be Jewish, but, but not so Jewish. Like, what, where do you draw the line? You can't draw the line. It doesn't work that way. The two rules in my house growing up, the two big rules where you're going to marry a Jewish girl and you're never going to wear a black hat. <laughs> right? So like, that was the line, right? It's like, there's certain lines you don't cross. But right. also, so, not, so yeah, so, yeah, you right. yeah, two borders: right. not right. to go over to the to the non-Jew, and not to go to Lahabdul, You know, the other way. Right. Stay right where we want you to be. Right. But then, but then we want you to be independent and develop when you make your own decisions in life. Until you know, like, right. <laughs> right, right. So now, come back to to what you do. You know, the videos you make. Like, do you you and you do it for a living? So you probably make stuff for I don't know what we call Marishkeit. But if they pay you, then it's then it's has that has ultimate value to it. But like the stuff that you do, I know Chabad.org is a bunch of stuff you have, which is you know, you you get more out of those than out of things that just pay well. Yeah, yeah. I consider that my personal shlichus in life, you know, using my talents for the for the Rebbe's project, right? And um trying to do my part. So yeah, I do I do a lot of videos for Chabad.org. Um, we're doing a series on all 10 Mifzayim. Rabbi Posner mentioned the 10 Mifzayim. By Ismaili Svarim, we do have a video on. Actually, if you go to Chabad Darg, By Ismaili Svarim. Um, it's one of my favorites, actually. Uh, we're also doing a series on all of the Yamim Toivim. So Sukkis is going to be coming out in Mir Sashem a couple weeks. Um, and yeah, it's it's a chance to 
to, because one of the things about making these videos is that I don't just do the visuals. I don't just make the pictures and do the animation, but I also oftentimes have to research the topic and write the script and, and um, dive into it. And not just that, but figure out how do you teach something? How do you explain something in a way that's going to be, you know, understood and absorbed by the public and all kinds of people are watching all, all kinds of people go on Chabad.org. Like there's a lot of, there, as somebody told me once, somebody who works at Chabad.org told me that, um, you know, Rabbi Gordon puts up his, uh, there's a Rabbi Gordon shear on every, um, for Chitas, every section of, of the Torah for, for that day. And there was a certain part of the year or was Yantif or something. And there was no Rabbi Gordon video for that day. And, um, he got an email from like all these Christians who are like, where's the Rabbi Gordon video today? Like, <laughs> <laughs> That's incredible. That's yeah. Incredible. All kinds of people. So we have to be very careful. The language we use, we don't want to be, um, you know, we don't want to, we want to be respectful of everybody who's watching it and make sure that everybody can absorb it and relate to it uh, no matter what their background is. Um, so it, it's, it's one, it's one level to learn Torah, to like learn something. It's another level to learn it in order to teach it and in order to be able to put it in your own words, um, in a way that can be given over. And so Baruch Hashem, this is an opportunity for me to do like learn basic Judaism from the beginning, but learn it well enough that I could actually explain it, you know, explain it to even people who aren't Jewish and at the same time, be effective in motivating Jews to do it. Yeah. Yeah. One of our most popular videos actually is, is what is Judaism? Um, because I think it's something that most people are Googling, right? Like it's not just Jews Googling, probably more non-Jews Google that than Jews. What is Judaism? But we mentioned, and we, because we knew that was going to happen. So we have a whole part of the video. It's like, what about people who aren't Jewish? So we mentioned the seven mitzvahs and, um, and how God has a purpose for everybody. And, you know, uh, Oh, it was, it was, it was, you know, that, that type of thing really gets me fired up. It's like an honor to be a part of that. Such a global, you think of Yiddishkeit as like such a global project, you know, which most of us aren't raised with that view as American Jews. You were like, yeah, we, we do this thing. And we also do that thing, but this is just us in our little shoal over here. But the Rebbe really, I mean, there's, I don't, I've never read the book, but the, even the title turning Judaism outwards, that's like such a perfect, um, uh, it's, it's such great wording to use for the Rebbe's whole perspective on Yiddishkeit. You don't have to read the book because you, you, you're living the book. I mean, mm -hmm. like you're saying, that's right. exactly the, the whole Rebbe, the Rebbe's approach to, to the world was like this, the Mashiach energy that we're talking about in the world means that you become, that Hashem and the world become one because they really are one. The world is one with Hashem. Our Aveda, what, our mission in life is to make that the reality. So it's not that we do everything, the Mashiach comes one day, like, oh, the prize is here, you won the prize. It's like every moment we're doing, we're making the world Mashiach. We're making, we're, we're making that the reality of the world. That's the exciting thing. Right. Like, I, you know, as you're saying, I'm thinking, this is like unbelievable because yeah, people want to know what is Judaism around the world. There could be people who knows where that would never ever be able to get the answer to that question. And then you have the ability and the responsibility to present right. it in a way that they can recognize it and see the truth of it and how it applies to them because that's the ultimate goal that the whole world will know that Hashem is one, His name is one and that, that's, and that will be, you know, the culmination will be the coming Mashiach but the process is happening every moment. So just, yeah, wow, amazing, amazing. So your parents yeah. get a heck of a lot of credit. I mean, yeah. get, uh, 
No, seriously, like they, what they, what they, you know, what all that you've done comes is that you know is from they get the credit for it all totally. You know, like that's fantastic. Hundred um, percent. And yeah, Baruch Hashem, they're very supportive. You know, I don't, I don't want to paint the picture uh, any differently. I mean, they're they're very accommodating as much as they can, and they're interested in um, helping us be our our best selves, whether or not that means being from. Um, but uh, but yeah, it's it's been an adventure for them, definitely. Josh pointed. Josh was our last guest. He he yeah. had a like specific day where it was like he went to his parents and he said to them, "Look, I'm becoming from like this is who I am now." Did uh-huh. you have a specific moment, or did your parents just kind of figure it out gradually? I know you talked <laughs> about no... more about there being a gradual process for yourself yeah. getting there. Yeah, it was very gradual, and it started like I said when I was a child. I mean, I mentioned my brother's older than me, so just to put it in perspective, when he's 16, I'm five. So he's 16. He starts keeping Shabbos. I'm five years old. I don't know. You know, I just watch him. Um, so it wasn't like one day I flipped the switch and now I'm from or now I'm Chabad. But I'm very, everything I do is very slow. Like I'm very, I I research for three months before I buy these headphones. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, it was, it was like, okay, now I'm gonna, like I told my parents I wanted to buy Tzitzis, right? And I was like, okay, why, you know? <laughs> well, our neighbors were tits, but they tuck them in. Could you maybe tuck them? In? Okay, yeah, sure. I'll tuck them. And then, and then they sneak out a little bit. And then, you know, and then the next year, you know, something else. I'm starting to wear my twillin every day, or now I'm starting to whatever. Um, which I say, you know, other things like twillin. In my conservative day school, we wore twillin for for chakras every day. So I had twillin. I knew how to put them on. I put them on every day, and then when school, when there was no school, I had no reason to put on my tefillin because it wasn't like we were, as a davening was an official part of my day, but it was a decision I had to make. It was like, am I going to daven today? You know, and those decisions, the more you have that opportunity in your life to make those decisions of, am I going to do the Jewish thing or not? Is, is this moment, is today going to be a Jewish day or not? And then in college, you have a lot of those moments, right? So um, that was really... I think college is a great opportunity to explore those moments and to experiment with those moments um, because your parents aren't there, right? And there's nobody, there's also, there's a rabbi who's around, but there's nobody telling you like, now do this, now do that, Um, which I think what college is all about. Yeah, Um, actually, that brings up a, you know, a question for me. This is something that really bothers me about the current, you know, sphere of college specifically with Hillel where they kind of have they've kind of just reserved themselves this idea that oh kids are going to come to school and then they're going to become less Jewish or or less observant and they just want people to show up to things whereas Chabad is very much the opposite side where it's like we're not just going to let this happen. We're going to bring kids in. We're going to teach them. We're going to try to keep them on this path. And we're going to, you know, give them whatever resources they need to do what they want. So for you, what was it like in college in terms of keeping your Yiddishkeit and even furthering it? That's a really good question. I'll say this. I I don't want to get involved in the whole, in the Hillel thing, but what I will say is, What I will See, say, I'm, I'm not afraid to call out Hillel. That's like been my thing over the last four years. And it's okay. even extra now that I've graduated because I literally have zero repercussions for doing there you it. Go. Postcast is post stands for positive. Positive. There you go. Positive. Um, 
what I will say is, you mentioned Chabad is, has a, like a different vibe, or I would say even possibly a different purpose than Hillel. A lot of people think of them as being in, in competition. I don't think that's the case. And I'll tell you my experience. My first day, my first Shabbos in college, um, you know, my parents told me you're going to marry a Jewish girl, right? So where do you find Jewish girls? My dad said, you have to go to Hillel every Shabbos. <laughs> so, um, and if there's no girls you like there, then go to Chabad. <laughs> but not, but don't hang out at Chabad for too long because then, <laughs> then you get a black so, hat. Right. So uh, I went to Hillel, my first Shabbos. And what's the first question they ask you when you walk into a Hillel? Reform, conservative, or orthodox? And I was like, I don't, I don't know. Like, what do you, I don't really have an answer to that. I'm just here. I, I have to pick, you know. And then I showed up at Chabad the next Shabbos, or it was maybe it was like Shabbos morning, and I saw people from the conservative minion at Hillel were there. People from the reform minion showed up, even if it was just for lunch. It was somebody where it was sort of like that there was no conservative reform or orthodox. It was just Jewish, you know. So not only did I not feel like like I was going to be forced into a black hat or forced into a certain box, but I saw I felt. I mean, I think you use the word inviting or more open. It's just like a space to come in and just be Jewish you know, without having to uh, choose which Jewish you want to be. Which flavor. Which flavor. I think that's the biggest misconception when it comes to Chabad, particularly in the looser reform and conservative worlds, is that if you go to a Chabad, you're going to walk in one day looking the way you did your entire life, and then you're going to walk out literally the next day wearing a black no. hat and a black jacket. And it's just like, it's not at all what the vibe has ever been in any Chabad house I've ever entered. I mean, when I I remember my freshman year at BU, so this was winter 2019 into winter 2020, the, I went to my congregation here at home in New Hampshire and the rabbi that I had growing up was the interim rabbi at this congregation. So he was there. We went for a Shabbos. And I had mentioned, yeah, I've gone to Chabad a couple of times. He was like, oh, be careful with people over there. And it's so, like, that was the, and what was funny about that was I had never known about Chabad before college. And so I had never mentioned it to anyone. My parents never said anything about it. And so that was the first time I'd ever heard anyone say like, oh, maybe you need to be careful about going to Chabad. But thank God it happened after I'd already gone because someone tells you that after the fact. It's like, that doesn't mean anything. Rabbi Posner's awesome. I have no issues with Rabbi Posner. He's never done anything wrong. <laughs> and then, you know, so like, who knows if that happens beforehand, right? Then right. I have this preconceived notion of what I'm walking into. Maybe I never even stepped foot in the Chabad house. Yeah. Yeah. I'll say I definitely did have my guard up when I went to Chabad first two times because for exactly that reason, because we did have conceptions about not just Chabad, but orthodoxy in general. I'll say the people that the the orthodox Jews that I grew up around were not nice people, right? And that was like, that was my, that was my, I was bullied for not wearing a yarmulke as a kid, right? Like they were like, where's your yarmulke? You know, and that obviously had an impact on me. My dad, people had made comments to my dad about driving on Shabbos or, or you know, things like that. Um, and so that was our picture of, of like from, you know, the Orthodox and nobody busts that myth like Chabad. The myth, the myth that you have to be nasty to be religious, right? Or that, that you have to be stuck up or, right? 
Um, but it was, you know, it was the first time that there was somebody in a black hat who was like happy to see me, even though I wasn't, you know, maybe I wasn't wearing yarmulke and tzitzis or whatever at that point. Um, so that just that, just that smile, just somebody who was happy to see me and was welcoming and, and wasn't trying to push me into any sort of box was that in itself, let my guard down. Right. Now I want to hear what he has to say. Right. And then that's, that's it. Right. So I, I think um, here's the deal. The basis of Lubavitch is Chabad Lubavitch. Luba means love. The motivation of Chabad is Avas Yisrael, loving a fellow Jew. We're not getting into a whole thing about Avas Yisrael, but the, basically your approach is, I love you. I right. love you. How's about, you know, it's not, I'm, I'm not critical of you. I'm not, I'm not God's, you know, um, policeman, making sure that people do what they're supposed to. Like, why do you go through that red light? You, you know, you're endangering people. Why are you driving on Shabbos? You're, you're hurting your soul. That's not what we do. We do like, mm-hmm. we love you. Let me come show, I'm, let me show you how beautiful Yiddish guy is. You know, Hani always tells me, my wife, she always says, when you teach about Shabbos, you don't tell them about what you're not allowed to do. You talk about the beauty of Shabbos right. and everything like that. When you talk about Taras and Mishpacha, you talk about the beauty of it. You talk anything you have in your life, eating kosher, the beauty of it. And then to have something beautiful, you have to protect it. So there are things you don't do. But you tell somebody, don't do this, and you have to do this, and why aren't you doing that? Then it's not just that you're turning them off. You've lost your whole connection to Yiddishkeit is is off kilter. Because it's a beautiful thing. It's a great thing. And and if you believe in it, invite the person in for Shabbos. Help them put on tefillin and and explain what it's all about. Like, wow, this is amazing. I love it. Let's do it again. Right. I'd argue it's more of an issue to be rude to someone about, you know, breaking a halacha than it is to actually break the halacha yourself. Because if, if you're some from Jew and you see someone not wearing a keeper, you see someone driving on Shabbos and you're rude to them about doing those things, they're going to be less likely to then do those things. And so yes. you're going to end up with, I think, if you're rude to the person, you've now created a situation where they're going to be breaking more and more halachas. Whereas if you were nice to them and you, you know, kind of let them break a few to slowly kind of dwindle the number that they're breaking, it's, it's, that's the best way to do it. Allow them to break a few so that eventually they won't break any, then shaming them for breaking one or two, which is going to cause them to break so many more. Right. But the, the, the thing is that they're not trained to think that way. This is, this is, this is, you only get that when you learn Hasidus, when you learn Tanya, when you read the Rebbe's talks and you watch how the Rebbe treated other people. You, you want to be, you, you know, the best way of learning about Judaism is watch Rebbe videos at dollars. How pe- how the Rebbe respond. I do this. I, I, you know, every time I see them, I look at it and I, every, it's, they, you know, they send me a daily thing. It's a minute. It's two minutes. I'm like, each one of them is inc- is an incredible teaching tool. It's like t- it's telling you the slight words that a per- that the Rebbe uses to guide the person the right direction with a smile, and it's like unbelievable. You, the person walks away empowered to do the right thing instead of doing the wrong thing, and, and the Rebbe doesn't use negative words ever. So he's always pushing the person in a positive direction, and if you don't have that. You know, the Torah says you shall rebuke your, your fellow Jew for doing, if you do something wrong. It's a mitzvah in the Torah. These people are being observant Jews by telling a person, you're not allowed to drive on Shabbos. What you're saying, Seth, is you're doing the mitzvah, but you're not doing it effectively. 
The effective way is to get them not to drive, not to tell them what the law is, not to bang them on the head. But if you don't know how to do that, if you don't have that background to you, which basically is the essential good of every single Jew because they have a godly soul, you're not going to be able to do it because you don't, you don't think that way. Like you're doing something wrong. What's wrong with you? Why are you doing that? So yeah, and I think more and more the world, the Jewish world is learning that. People are, people are looking at Chabad yeah. and saying, how is Chabad doing this? How does this work? And, you know, and little by little, they're trying to, but I'll, I'll tell you something else. As hard as they try to emulate Chabad, if you don't learn Chassidus, if you don't learn about the godly soul, I understand, you have to learn Tanya and learn it well. And if you don't do that, you're never, ever going to get it. You're not, you, can't, you can't mimic it. You have to learn Tanya. There's, there's no shortcuts here. This, learning to love another Jew is something you have to work upon yourself. You can't just go, I'm going to go out and invite people. I'm going to react, you know, what comes to me naturally. You put a lot of effort into it, and um, and that's what we do. It's not it's not simple, you know. Making room for another person in your life and doing it in a positive way takes a lot of effort and it takes a lot of understanding. And um, we hope, you know, more and more people that learn Hasidus, the more and more we're going to be able to connect Jews one to another, and we're able to bring Mashiach to the world. Amen. Amen. Hershey clearly hasn't listened to enough of our episodes because he wouldn't know. He wouldn't. <laughs> Maybe I listened to them just not all the way to the end. You know. <laughs> the end is the best. All right. So I think I think we've had a really, really valuable conversation here. I hope people uh, people took the time to go to the end of the episodes, unlike Hershey, apparently, and uh, and, <laughs> and get some good uh, some good learning, some good knowledge. So, Hershey, where where can the people find you? What are the, the places that people should be looking for your work and uh, the things that you do? Yeah, well, you mentioned suffering.tv, which is my my businessy place where I put my work, but I'm also very active on LinkedIn. Um, I recently um, changed my LinkedIn name to Hershey Suffren. I'm no longer using my English name there. So Hershey Suffren, you'll find me. Hershey like the chocolate. Um, and uh, and that's the best place to find me. Chabad.org. You can see my work also. Yeah. Amazing. All right. Thank you so much for joining us, Hershey. It's been great having you. Thank you to the audience for joining us for episode 19 of the Posecast. We'll be back again next week. I don't know what day. Hopefully it's Wednesday because it wasn't this week and that's my fault. This time it was my fault that we didn't record on a Wednesday. That's the first time ever that it's been my fault, I think. So, <laughs> all right. We'll see you guys next week.